0: Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6. We are two chapters in on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through this for the past few weeks and really for actually a couple months. And God's really been speaking as we've been kind of going through The most powerful sermon ever preached from the greatest man who has ever lived. Winston Churchill says the Sermon on the Mount is the last word on ethics. Uh, It is really one of the most powerful statements ever put together by any mouth of any human. And when Jesus speaks, we know it is the literal word of the Lord. And so it's awesome to see God directly speak to you, to me, and preached to us. And, and he spoke about so many different topics. He begins with the blessing. He talks about how we deal with anger. He talks about the character of our lives and who we are. And today, Jesus is going to speak to you about anxiety. Anxiety. If you feel like this is a struggle in your life, and I know it is a modern-day plague on our society, Jesus de- dedicates a large portion of the Sermon on the Mount to this very important, let's call it, emotional, or spiritual disease. And Jesus has a word to say on it. And I believe that the word of Jesus can set you free. Can you say amen? amen. Matthew chapter six, we're gonna read verse, we're gonna start from verse 25. We're gonna read this whole passage together, verse 33. Jesus says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? For the Gentiles, the pagans, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Can you say amen? Amen. Lord, we ask right now that we would, in our hearts and minds, seek you first. That you would add everything that we need. That our position would not be one. Filled with anxiety, but would be one settled in front of your throne that we receive what we need from you, a good father. So, right now, we open our hearts and our minds to let you come and and speak to us. We're ready and willing and desiring to change in Jesus' name. Come on, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Three times, Jesus says, Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Three is the number of completion. Three is that Jesus is emphasizing this point to the nth degree, do not be anxious. But know this, Jesus would never ask of you what you could not accomplish. God would never require from you that which you could not do. In other words, if Jesus says do not be anxious, You have the ability to go through life not filled with anxiety. This isn't just me getting up here and saying, come on, get over it, man, push through, just don't do it, just don't feel that way. No, this is the king of the universe that created you and created all things around you, that knows you intimately before you ever knew you, and knows your beginning from your end, and he is giving you a command saying, do not be anxious. And today, I believe that a spirit of anxiety that maybe has tried to come on you, you can be set free from that spirit today by the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He would not give you a command that you could not fulfill by his power and by his authority. Today, you can be set free. And we need it. Statistics say that one in three people will be diagnosed with some form of an anxiety disorder within their lifetime. These numbers are growing astronomically in our lifetime, especially with young people. I can't get into all of it this week, but I'm gonna continue this sermon next week. Today I'm gonna to try and lay a groundwork. But you know that this $40 billion industry is expanding and the diagnosis are continuing and that it is a prevalent problem for our people, but, I'm here to tell you a greater truth today. God is not more interested in your diagnosis than he is in your deliverance. God is a mighty deliverer, and he can come and he can set you free. In one day, in one prayer, in one service, with one word, he can set you free. A diagnosis is not greater than the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is living and active, and it can come to you today, and it can set you free. And maybe you say, well, I'm not struggling with anxiety, but I struggle with fear, or I struggle with depression, or I struggle with you know one of these internal emotional things. Well, as I speak about anxiety, just go ahead and put that word in its place, because they all come from the same source. These things come from a false, weak, demonic spirit. They do not come from the power, yes. might, Authority of the Spirit of God. Therefore, they are under his authority. Therefore, you can be set free. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can be set free. And we need to be set free from this thing that was not given to us by Jesus. And I think that's the problem. Many times, we submit to the wrong spirits in our life. We surrender to the wrong things in our life, you can turn me down just a tiny bit. We submit, and you know what happens when we submit to the spirit of anxiety? We integrate anxiety into our identity. This is what happens when you submit to the wrong spirit. Pretty soon, it doesn't just rule over you, it becomes you. Many people in this place have submitted to a wrong spirit, spirit of anxiety or fear or depression, and allowed it to become your identity. And what happens is, first, in this process of submission, first, we accept it. First, we accept it. We say say things like, um, I am always anxious. I am depressed. I am full of fear. I am. What is that? That's identifying with something that God never created you to be. Allowing it by the power and authority of your words to take over your mind, heart, soul, body, and emotions. You've gotta be careful what you identify with your heart and with your words. Many times when that process begins, we go even further. Not only do we accept it, we begin to internalize it. We say things like, we say things like, my anxiety, my fear, my depression. We own it. But please hear me, don't claim what you don't want to keep. Don't claim what you don't want to keep. Reverse that speech. And then many times we, we go even further, and this is kind of the last step, is we authorize it. There's life and death and the power of the tongue, and, and you got to be careful when you say things like, I'm sure you've heard this before. Maybe you've even said this before. You say something like, my anxiety won't let me go there. Oh, no, no, no. My anxiety won't let me go there. There's too many crowds. There's too many people. There's too many social interactions. There's too much going on. Who knows what the preacher will say? Like, you're talking about church? (laughs) Isn't it amazing? Sometimes your anxiety won't let you go to church. I can't leave the home. Yeah, but you gotta get to God's house. If anxiety won't let you go to God's church, it certainly is not your friend, but a bitter enemy. If it opposes such a fundamental good, then certainly you must oppose it with all that you are. You've gotta be careful to not authorize this thing to take over your actions, your plans. I can't go out, I can't go in crowds, I I, I can't go on vacation, I can't get on planes because my anxiety won't let me. What is it, a dog? You're owned by this thing. Many times people do make their problems their pets. And they have it close and you have it for intimacy. But this thing owns your life. You got to be careful to not let this fear, this anxiousness take over your mind, your decisions, your actions. Maybe it's about the economy. You just say, now not the time. I can't, I can't do it. You, have you seen the economy? The economy dictates what you're going to do. Oh, whoa, 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 have, have you seen, have you seen what's coming, have, have, have you heard? Oh no, no, I, I don't know if I can have kids right now because the world is so messed up. You're gonna let the world determine whether you fulfill the call of God to be fruitful and multiply? Let your kids show up and help change the world. Don't let the anxiety or fear of the future determine who you are today. I believe God wants to set you free from this today, but you are going to have to oppose the thing that opposes you. Anxiety is not your friend. It is not your pet. It is not a warm blanket that helps you get through the day. Anxiety is your bitter enemy, and it is meant to be conquered. Come on, it is meant to be defeated. It is meant to be overcome. But you're going to have to face it. You're going to have to face it. Through this sermon and the next, I want to teach you how to face your anxiety, face your depression, face your fears, face your enemy, because if you will not face it, you will never be able to overcome it. But when you face it, and your actions, and your mind, and your prayers begin to be aligned against this thing, make no mistake, it cannot stand against you, because Jesus stands with you. And Jesus arrives on the Sermon on the Mount with a brand new approach to the issue of anxiety. Isn't it interesting, 2,000 years ago, people were still struggling with the same things they're struggling with today? Although it strikes me how relevant Jesus' sermons are. It's like he knew in 2,000 years there was gonna be a plague on modern culture and that young people were going to be shut down by this disease. And so he puts it in the Sermon on the Mount so that today, one of the main issues of society can be addressed word for word by the Lord Jesus. And he's speaking to these people, yes, but he's speaking to you. And what's so powerful is Jesus addresses it, he addresses it with logic, he addresses it with reason, and he addresses it with supernatural. He addresses it with the logic and reason and the supernatural. Because you really need all three if you're gonna overcome in this area of your life. And I'm so thankful that he doesn't just have one or two, but he's got the supernatural which unlocks it all. And he's gonna... And, 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 I, I, and I believe right now he's gonna open the word To your heart and soul today That you can be set free from this thing the Bible says the word is living And it is active And it's sharp It can cut some things out of your life And this is a surgery that you and I need in our life Lord continue to cut anxiety Cut fear Cut all this stuff out of my life Let the word come alive today And speak to your reality With incredible relevance today And so let's start where he started Jesus says, do not be anxious. This is the command from Christ. This is your king telling you how to live. You might say, oh, I can't help it. No, he wouldn't say it if you couldn't help it. Do not be anxious is the command of Jesus. Well, what is anxiety? We know it's a feeling it's of, ner- of worry or nervousness, unease, Typically, it's about an event, something that's, that's imminent to come. And, and many times with anxiety, you'll feel it in your feelings, but you can also feel it in your body and can react to it. If I could simplify that definition just kind of for a working definition for us today, I would say anxiety is fear of a possible future. It's not really fear of the future because you don't know the future. If you did, you'd have no fear of it. Anxiety is fear what might be, what could be, what's coming, what might happen. And if I could go a little bit deeper, anxiety is, anxiety hijacks your imagination and it corrupts your creativity. It uses these things that God has given you that you would face the future with excitement, with, with adventure, with problem solving. It hijacks those things and says, but you don't know what's coming, therefore fear it. But with faith, it's like, I don't know what's coming but I know someone who does know what's coming, and I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. So I'm not gonna be afraid, I'm not gonna be nervous, I'm not gonna be corrupted, I'm gonna use my creativity, my problem solving, so whatever comes, I'm gonna be ready for it. Can you say amen? Amen. I'm not gonna allow the enemy to agitate me about the future, I'm gonna rest securely in the God who holds the future. Because the truth is, that's where anxiety stems from. For saints, anxiety stems from a lack of trust in He who holds the future. If I truly learn and practice trusting in Him, my anxiety must diminish as I get a revelation of who He is. Whenever I take control, the outcome rests on me. Isn't that true? Whenever you take control, the outcome rests on you. But whenever you surrender control, the outcome rests on Him. And so, We are given two different mentalities to approach life with. One is the I've got two, and the other is God's got this. One is filled with the nervousness, the worry, the anxiety that all that stuff brings. The other other brings a resting assurance of God's strength. I've got two, which way do you live? Or God's got this. So many of us live in the I've got two. I've got to control, I've got to work, I've got to make it happen, I've got to hustle, I've got to grind, I've got to move, I've got to wake up, I've got to go to bed, I've got. got to sign that thing, i got to send that check, I've got to check with that person, i got to connect in with that, I've got to correct that someone, I've got to avoid that person, i got to get it, You ever notice that you're always speeding up, you've got a million things to do and you never really accomplish all that much. Like you make a to-do list and at the end of the day, this is your to-do list and there's no checks. Anxiety causes you to speed up, speed up, you you, you forget your priorities, you you, you run through life, never living. Or you can have the mentality of God's got this, which means I'll work, I'll make things happen, I'll make a to-do list, but it's not my master. I live under God's providential hand, that he is going to take care of me, he's going to lead me, he's going to protect me, and I'll get to what I need to. That causes you to kind of slow down when you live. I I love Thanksgiving, it finally causes us to slow down a little bit. Do the things that actually matter, sharing a meal with the people that you love. I don't know if you love them by the end of the meal. (laughs) It's a Sabbath rest. This is why God institutes the Sabbath, because once a week we should know God's got this. Slow down. Turn off your phone, spend time with your kids, give it to God. The work will be there on Monday, but today we're in the house of the Lord with the people of God, worshiping a mighty God, reminding ourselves, God, you're for me, you're with me, you're leading me. I love that we live near the city of Providence. It reminds us every day that in the end, God's got this. It is his providential hand that we live under. Therefore, we can slow down and actually enjoy the life that he has gifted us, not have to live under the cloud. Paul says this to the Philippians in chapter four, verse six. He says, be anxious for nothing. Turn to your neighbor, say nothing. Turn to your other neighbor, say nothing. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. Come on, say everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. This is his solution. Don't be be anxious about anything. Be anxious for nothing. Well, how is that possible? Well, in everything. Bring it before our mighty king. And the peace of God, he says, which surpasses all understanding. This isn't your logic. This isn't your mind. This isn't you solving things. We're talking about a supernatural peace. Sometimes you don't even understand where it's coming from. Which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He will become your shield, your exceedingly great reward. He will guard your mind. Stand firm in front of your emotions. But you have to follow the process. I'm going to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, everything, I'm going to bring it before the one that has peace that he can dispense that can stand guard when we're waking or when we're sleeping that will reign over our lives i got to bring it to him in prayer i got to capture my thoughts and submit it to christ in prayer yeah. see the practice of prayer invites the presence of god that defeats the pressures of anxiety i want to say it again the practice of prayer invites the presence of god that defeats the pressures of anxiety this is why jesus Jesus would get up early and he would pray first. This is something that I hope I don't say this in in like a you must do, but you you should do mentality. That if you wake up and pray first, and I don't know if it has to be a long, extravagant prayer. Pastor David spoke about the Lord's Prayer a couple weeks ago. You have that memorized? Let it be the first thing in your mind and out of your mouth. Lord, today, give me daily bread. What are you doing? You're setting your day up under the peace of the Almighty you're bringing everything by prayer to God, I guarantee you, you're gonna have a different day. I guarantee you, you're gonna have a different day. Have you ever noticed that you have very different realities when you pray and when you don't pray? My, my wife and I, we drive up to upstate New York and we bring the kids, and I don't know if you've ever done a, a four-hour road trip with children. Uh, but it's not the easiest thing. Uh, and this time, my wife prayed. I don't know if we've prayed before, I'm not sure. I don't know if we had, you know, it just kind of slipped our minds and getting all this stuff together. But this time we're pulling out of the driveway and Samantha goes, Lord, let today be the best drive we've ever had. And it was, it was an awesome drive. Now we forgot to pray on the way back. (laughs) And halfway through, I'm like, God, rescue this drive. Send fire, send something. (laughs) There's something powerful about beginning the day In prayer, you offer the day before the Lord. Here's my day, here's my priorities. Here's my mind, here's my plan. Lord, let me walk, not in my own control, but may I walk under your mighty hand and let peace follow me wherever I go. This is what Jesus says to us. He says, don't be anxious about your life. It's really the the number one thing. What you eat, he goes on. What you'll drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on. That's where anxiety comes. It comes in the everyday life, in in our needs for basic necessities. That's the things we mostly get anxious about, right? Like, we're not usually anxious about, like, luxuries that we don't really need. Nobody's, like, going on vacation and wants to get an upgraded seat on the plane, and they're anxious about it for three months, like, did I get it? (laughs) You're not anxious if you're going to the restaurant for a nice date and you're, all you're thinking about is like, if this place doesn't have creme brulee, I, I can't handle it. It's not the luxuries. Creme brulee is luxury to me. It's not the luxuries, it's, it's like it's the everyday things. It, it's the basic necessities that, that want to wire our brain to always be irritated and agitated, nervous and unsure. It, it's, the, it's, it's, it's our jobs. If we hear layoffs are coming, all of a sudden, anxiety begins to rise, saying, is it you? What did your boss say last week? What did you do? What about that email? And all of a sudden, here comes the agitation and the nervousness. Anxiety tries to come through every bill that you get, and you open and you try not to look. And it seems like the bills are always rising, and here comes that feeling again, when you go shopping for groceries. And man, I want a Black Friday sale on groceries. <laughs> Can I get a Black Friday sale on steak? I don't want a TV. I just want to eat. <laughs> and you're going through stop and shop, and they're like, "Ching! That'll cost your mortgage." <laughs> and here comes the agitation. Jesus says, "The clothes that you wear." You know, and we're so blessed. We're so blessed. A lot of times, we don't really worry about the clothes that we wear. I mean, we, we live in a, a society that is the most blessed society in the history, the history of civilization, yeah. and we still struggle with. Yep. Which, which got, has to prove that blessings doesn't defeat anxiety. More does not defeat anxiety. Our civilization proves it because we have the most of anyone ever, and yet we have the most anxiety, trying to keep what we got trying to add more, nervous. These people really didn't have that much for clothes. They they most likely only had one pair of clothes. These were were peasants and these were people that were in poverty. And yet Jesus is even speaking to them like, hey, I don't want your position towards clothes to to be nervous, agitation, worry, and fear. I want you to keep your God in mind, even in what you're gonna wear. The other day, my wife sent me out to buy some shoes for my son, he's growing, and, uh, and he outgrew his shoes. And so I was going out for errands, I said, no worries, I'll stop at Kohl's, I'll get him some new shoes. And she says, oh, you're going to Kohl's? Well, let me send some Amazon boxes for you to return. And I was like, no, I didn't, I didn't agree to this. I don't do this. She's like, please, you'll get 20% off. I'm like, I don't care about that. I've never, I've never cared about that in my life, you know? I'm like, no, 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 you do it, you do it. And so I went out, I went, um, did my errands, I get to Kohl's, I see all the suckers in that long line, returning stuff at Amazon, I'm thinking like, not me. (laughs) Going to buy my son some shoes, and I think, I'm going to get him the cool shoes, you know? My mom never got me the cool shoes, I'm going to get him the cool shoes, you know? And then I saw that cool shoes cost 100 bucks, and then I was like, where are the sale shoes? (laughs) I called my wife, and I said, do you know how expensive shoes are? And she goes, you wish you had that 20% off right about now, right? I need some Kohl's cash. The enemy wants to get us nervous. He wants us to get us consumed with being a consumer, with the clothes and the shoes and the become our ultimate priority, and affect our everyday idol. And I want you to know Jesus, when he speaks to us and say, but don't be like that, don't worry about those things, he's not speaking from a distant place, a place where he doesn't understand these issues. Jesus was born in Nazareth, and he understood poverty. He understood the weight and the yoke He saw it with his parents. He saw it with his friends. This was a small, insignificant village that had very little. He knew what it was to be nervous about tomorrow. He knew what it was to be worried about what's to come. He saw it amongst all the people that he lived with. I mean, there was true poverty there, and he worked a very normal trade job. He was a craftsman or a carpenter, and, and, and he knew what it was to not have work or have very little. Jesus is not speaking from a place that doesn't understand the human condition. I mean, his father, Joseph, died while he was young, and he was the primary caretaker of his mother. He knew what it was to have the weight of the home on him, to be taking care of his parent even as she grew old. And that's why even on the cross, he tells John, you've got to take care of mom now because I've been taking care of her this whole time. He knew the weight and the struggles of everyday life. He, He knew what it was. And he looks us, not not from above, but he looks eye to eye, knowing our pains and knowing our frustration. He looks at us at eye level, and, and, and he does not belittle our issues, but he does not allow us to bow to them. I know these things are things to be worried about, but do not be overcome with worry. I know you're going to work through these things. I know you're going to buy shoes, but do not be consumed with, these, with this process. He's, he's telling us to put, to put our problems in the right priority, to make sure we keep them under the king, but not to make a false idol or false god out of this stuff. So what do we do then? Practically, what do we do? If, if anxiety shouldn't be our primary motivator in our approach to life, what should we do? And this is where Jesus kind of twists it. He says, don't be worried about these things. And then he goes, look at the birds of the air. I like this. I like this move in the sermon. Obviously, they were on a mountain by the sea, and there were birds in the air. And Jesus kind of becomes wistful. He kind of, he kind of begins to reflect. And he's like, look around you. What does he use as an analogy? Creation. Look at the birds of the air. You know what I've noticed about God? All throughout Scripture, He's constantly trying to get people to look up. Lift up your eyes to the hills. Where does your help come from? He's constantly trying to get our perspective higher. He's, he's constantly trying to elevate us. I love that He even brings them on a mount for the Sermon on the Mount. Come up higher. He's trying to bring us into an elevated place. No longer should you live down in the mud like the prodigal son. Come home, come higher. Come higher. This is, this is what God, have you ever noticed this? This is what God is constantly trying to do to elevate our minds as if to say the answer for down here is not down here. You could search, you could acquire, you could get, but I'm just telling you the answer for down here is not down here. You gotta look, at, look up higher. Look to the air. Look to the birds. Look to creation. What can we see from A God that makes a creation like this. But whatever you do, don't let your mentality stay low. Paul says this to the Colossians. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your thoughts, set your decisions, set your patterns on things that are above. Heavenly, eternal, and mighty, not on things that are on the earth. Okay, well, what are earthly things? Possessions, pleasures, stuff of life, pursuit of more things. Let me throw this in there. Politics. Politics is the Babylon. It is not Zion. The very best will not save you. The very best will not change your life, set your mind on eternal things, not earthly things because you will never ever find the solution you are searching for down here. It's gotta be higher. It's gotta be God. It's gotta be more. The problem is our nature is just to pursue material things because we can see it, taste, touch, feel, sense it. It's, it's here. And so many times the problem with us is that we are driven to pursue earthly things. And that drive, that motivation, that's what fills us with anxiety. There's a great story in the the book of Kings. I'm sure you've heard it before. It's the story of a man named Gehazi. He was a servant of Elisha. Elisha was a mighty prophet. And one day there was a great leader, general of Syria, that comes to Elisha's door. This man's name was Naaman. Naaman. Naaman had leprosy. Back then, leprosy was a death sentence. Leprosy would begin to numb you. It would begin to uh, cause you to get burns, you know, because you couldn't, you couldn't touch anything. You had no senses. Parts of your body would fall off. It would eat you from the inside out. Leprosy is a picture of sin in the Old Testament. So, so Naaman is a Syrian that's filled with sin. And he comes to the right place, the door of the prophet. And Elisha says to him, here's what I want you to do to get free from this thing. I want you to go to the Jordan River, and I want you to dunk seven times. And when Naaman does that, he goes in leprous, but he comes out clean, which is a picture of baptism. You go in with sin, but come on, you come out saved. And on the seventh time, he realizes he's 100% clean of this leprosy. He's shocked. No one in the world could have done this. He goes back to Elisha's house, and he says, thank you for doing this for me. I want to give you something. Let me give you a gift. Let me me pay you back. I brought clothes and garments and apparel, and and I brought gold and silver. Come on, let let me just bless you. Let me give to your ministry. Let me do something. But Elisha says, I don't want any of it. Why? Because this was a foreigner, and he wanted to make sure that the God of Israel went out not as a God that needs to be paid for his miracles, but a God that is living and generous and just because that's who he is. So, so he tells Naaman, I don't want anything from you, nothing. Take the healing and the miracle and go. And Naaman says, all right, I'm going to go, but can I take some dirt with me? Because I never want to leave this place. Powerful picture of moving forward but taking the presence with you. And, and, and Elisha says, go. And, and Naaman takes off with his chariot, but Gehazi, the servant of, of Elisha, sees us all go down Sees the clothes, sees the gold. And is looking at Elisha like, dude, hello. Come on, I could use a new jacket. I know what the ministry's finances are. It's no big deal. He offered, come on. You were a blessing, be blessed. He disagrees with what Elisha says. So on his own, he runs after Naaman's chariot, secretly. He begins to chase the chariot of Naaman. Seeking first the world. Chasing after. Motivated by anxiety. I got to get. I need. This will take care. This will set us up. He catches Naaman's chariot and Naaman says, what can I do for you? And now Gehazi realizes, I got to lie. Because my master already said we don't need anything. So he says, you know what? These two guys just came down from the north and uh, we need to feed them. We need to clothe them. So my master changed his mind, can you give us anything? And Naaman says, absolutely, for sure, here you go. In fact, not only am I gonna give you some, uh, some silver and some, some apparel, let me double it. Let me give you two talents, let me give you tons of clothes. Now at that moment, please hear me because we can justify anything. I, I think Gehazi could have justified, if God didn't want me to do this, he would stop blessing me. But you gotta see the whole story before you start justifying your actions just because something good happened in the temporary. He takes all this stuff, he runs home, hides it. I mean, this is a whole sermon right here. First you chase the world, then you start lying. Now you're hiding. Hides all this stuff, keeps it for himself. And maybe he thinks, you know what, but this will take care of me, just in case this thing doesn't work out. Maybe Elisha will be glad. A couple days from now, maybe those guys were coming down. And he was thinking, you know what, I'll give him, I'll give him a scarf or something. Justifying. Keeping the earthly stuff hidden in the earth. He goes back to Elisha, stands in his presence, which is a picture of standing in the presence of the Lord. Elisha says, hey, where were you? This is one of those questions that parent asks where they already know the answer. You know, they're just going to torture you. Where were you? And then Hazy gives the child the answer, nowhere. Nowhere. What were you doing? Nothing. And Elisha said, did not my spirit, really the Holy Spirit, go with you? I saw Naaman get off his chariot. I saw what you took. And he said, not only will you take Naaman's stuff, you're going to take his leprosy as well. Because the reality is when you chase the world, even if you catch it, you catch everything that comes with it. The curse that comes with the world. And and, and Elisha says this. Powerful, powerful verse. Is this the time? Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and cattle, male and female servants? Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. He was cast out of the presence of the prophet. That phrase, though, is so powerful. Is this the time? To be chasing stuff. There will be a time, please hear me, where there will be gold and there will be silver and there will be clothing and there will be vineyards, but it's in eternity. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. You don't know who's wealthy right now. You think, well, Elon's wealthy. You don't know. First off, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Secondly, in eternity, wealth is counted very differently. And what Elisha says to Gehazi, he says to us, don't chase after, motivated by anxiety, earthly things. The more and the stuff and the pleasures and the needs, because this will ruin your life, and it will ruin your descendants' life as well. But seek first the kingdom of God, his generosity, his justice, his goodness, his mercy. And all the things that you do need, they will so be added unto you. See, the feeling of anxiety comes from the constant chasing of the wrong things. But Jesus gives us a better way. He's saying, "Is this, is this what you're worried about? Food and clothes? Make no mistake. God will take care of you." Look, look at what it says in this verse, 1 Timothy 6:11. It says, for the love of money, the love, the pursuit, the chase of money is the root of all kinds of evil. By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, O woman of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And when you pursue these eternal things, God will take care of the basic needs. When you begin to shift your mindset to things that matter, God will take care of the rest. And that's why Jesus can say, look at the birds. He says they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. No strategy with these birds. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So you have to know your value. You're a son, you're a daughter of the Most High King. And God will not let you go hungry or go in need. When you begin to pray, make no mistake, God will do many miracles, deliverances, powerful things. You do not have to be mastered by anxiety because you have a greater master. He's a good king. And Jesus even says, look, look how much your king takes care of the birds of the air. On the pecking order, no pun intended, are you not greater than they. Come on, you all ate a bird on Thursday. It's like three vegetarians in here like, not me. (laughs) You're not better than us. (laughs) Your value, you are the centerpiece of God's creation greater than the stars, greater than the universe, certainly greater than the birds. And God's saying, I'll take care of the birds. Don't you worry, I'll take care of you. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, come before the Father. Let Him know what you need, and then be confident and assured that He who began the good work in you, He'll be faithful. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of your sons and your daughters and your home. Now listen, listen, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't sow or reap or gather into barns. This isn't this isn't God telling us to be lazy. Certainly not. No, no, we're better than the birds. We sow, we reap, we steward well, right? We're not here to be lazy. But what Jesus is saying is this is, this is an opportunity to trust me. Do your part, bring it before me, and then trust me. Let me close with this story, think about this. Remember the, the young man that had a few fish and a few loaves, he brings it before the Father. This is faith, taking what little you have and giving it to God. What does God do? He always multiplies it. In fact, there were a ton of leftovers by the end of that miracle. You're going to be eating leftovers for the next week. There were a ton of leftovers because whenever God gets involved, there's always more than enough. What are you anxious about? There's always more than enough. There's more confidence. There's more assurance. God will take care of your finances. God will do. He will fill in the gaps. But you got to bring what you got. Bring your hard work, bring your energy, bring your investment, present it before the Lord, and then see if God will not multiply it and care for you and your descendants. But see, anxiety says, hold, hide. Don't give what you got. Who knows what's gonna happen? Control, work on it yourself. Don't show anybody. And in the end, you'll always either not have enough or always feel like you don't have enough. But faith says, Lord, I trust you over any provisions that I could get myself. I believe today God wants to set some people free in this place from this spirit of anxiety that has directed you and owned you for too long. You are far more valuable than the birds and yet God cares for them. He knows even when a a sparrow falls from the nest, God is intimately involved with with the almost insignificant things of your life. He knows it all. He loves you, he'll catch you. Maybe you're here today and you have accepted An anxious existence. Today's the day God wants to set you free. He wants to set you free. You do not have to accept an anxious or a depressed or a worried or a fearful existence. Maybe you've learned coping mechanisms to get through. Maybe they've helped a little bit. Maybe you've just lived a life of avoiding places that sets it all off or people or whatever. But we're not trying to live around anxiety, we're going to fight through anxiety. Victory. Victory in the name of Jesus. Victory in the name of Jesus. Victory in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to close with this. I remember quite a few years ago, I began to express to my wife and my friends. I say, I just struggle with anxiety. I feel I got social anxiety. I don't want to be in lobbies. I don't want to be in rooms. I don't want to talk to people. I I get nervous in one on one conversations and I would talk it, talk it, talk it. Say it, say it, say it. I remember I was at a conference and and there was a whole group of people and I didn't even want to go in the group. And I was telling my wife, I was saying, I I just, I just, I've just got, I've got it. I've got anxiety. I I just, I, it, it had owned me and was growing in power. And my wife, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, shut up. He said, You need to stop, stop talking like this. And I thought, Why am I talking like this? Why have I given so much this? I went into worship and I raised my hands and I said, Lord, you made me, you created me. You can recreate me, you can set me free from this thing. I don't have to live like this. And in the middle of worship, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart one word enough. It was more correction than healing. I felt the Holy Spirit say, enough. In other words, by the power and might of his hand, I will stop this attack. I will cover you with my spirit, but you need to stop giving way and room to this thing. After that, I made a determination. I will never say that phrase again. I will walk into every conversation. I'll make it more awkward. (laughs) What's up? I don't care how I look. I don't care how I sound. I've had enough. I believe one word from God. It can happen today, it can happen tonight, it can happen in your car, it can happen in worship, it can happen anywhere, any place. One word is more than enough for you to be set free in one moment. Thanks for listening to the Awakening podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.